Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome back, everyone, to this week's edition of Conversations. Z, I'm sitting here with you in person, here with Jante and Caitlin. Always great to be here. And we had a pretty interesting session earlier. So I came in, you were doing some work with Ben Vereen, who is a longtime actor, very successful, very talented. And you've been working with him on some health issues and started talking to him about some of the work that I've been doing on the spoken word side. And then in your very Z way, you introduced the two of us, you had us sit down and just had me share some of the work that I've been doing with him. And I started talking about the spoken word and how 10 years ago I had to take my life in a different direction, how you were a big part of that process, how I started writing, and all this stuff spilled out. So the writing picked up, the spoken word picked up, that turned into the album, the performances, and so as I'm talking to Ben about this, he says, oh, well, do you have anything I can see or hear? I said, yeah, sure. So I pulled out my cell phone, got some clips on Instagram, pulled a couple of these out, played one for him. He was like, wow, that's great. Started laughing because he also didn't know that I had the mask on. So I think just seeing the mask, seeing the performance, I was talking about words popping in rapid fire, fully automatic, just the contrast between that and the way that I present myself. Maybe he found that entertaining. And then I showed him another one, and he's like, hmm, because he saw me performing, he saw the way that I was moving. He's like, hmm. What did he say? I'm trying to remember exactly what his words were. It was something about how my body is holding myself back. So the body is holding back the presentation. Like, there's all this inside that I want to express that needs to come out, but the way that I'm moving is stiff, and I'm almost fighting against myself. And so I started laughing, you started laughing, because that's what you've told me for a long time. In fact, when we worked with Nick, he'd said something similar, not the same way, but he'd said that the only thing standing in your way is yourself, so you've got to stop fighting against yourself. Or I think he said you have to get out of your own way, which I interpret somewhat the same as what Ben was saying. And so we get into this a little bit more, and it was interesting because I started talking to him about my background, like why am I stiff, why am I holding myself back? And... Even though I've evolved a lot in the last 10 years, I still look at myself a certain way. My entire life, I've been on this model minority path. I've gotten to good schools. I studied finance and engineering. I was kind of trained to be a corporate robot, get up there, just present, get rid of all emotion, say things in a very precise way, don't mess up, don't be spontaneous. And it's all very plastic. And I'm very effective communicating that way. I can go up and do a presentation, and I can do it without thinking about it, and I get great feedback on it, but there's no authenticity behind it. And now as I'm out performing, I'm realizing that being on stage in that way is totally different, because you have to share yourself. If you want to draw people in, you have to give them something to connect to. It's not just putting information out there. So I'm starting to do that, and the presentation is evolving, but there's still part of me which sees myself as this corporate robot, or I mean, corporate robots are a bit too extreme. I don't see myself exactly like that, but I see myself as stiff. I see myself as a stiff person. Sometimes just being around here, you know, like around my kids, I, I can dance and loosen up. I, I feel self-conscious if I'm doing that around other people in different environments. 
And so there's that which is almost programmed into me, or there's some mental imprint that I have of myself. And the two sides go into conflict. And so when I'm up on stage, I mean, I'm learning to work through it, but there's still some conflict between how I see myself and what I want to express. And so Ben picked up on this and he's like, you know what? I think you're doing what you think you should be doing. You're imitating other people, but that's not you. And he said, instead, you're using your hands a lot. You're pointing at different people. You're, you got your fist up in the air. Instead, just get your whole body into it. Get your whole body into it. Allow your body to express the words, internalize the words. That'll really evolve the presentation. And he said, use the stiffness. Use the stiffness. If you're stiff, that's fine. But feel your way into that. I don't know exactly how to put it, but there was just something he said, which was like, wow, that's really cool. I can take what I am and use that as a strength. There's not something that I need to modify. I can be what I am, maybe express myself in a different way than I normally do, but I'm still myself. And that got us. So we, we had this discussion with Ben, and then Ben ended up leaving. And after that, we kept up the conversation. We started talking about code switching. Right. And this idea of how do you navigate different environments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so th- there's this idea of how can you use the stiffness? How can you be you and present yourself in an authentic way and still switch, so still be fluid, but never go too far away from that center. So that center is the essence of me, and part of that is my spirit. Part of it is how I've been trained, how I see myself, and maybe that evolves over time, but there's that center line. I can go to the left in certain situations. I can be more fluid. I can go to the right and be more corporate, but I'm always me. And as we started talking about that, we got into this conversation around code switching. How do you do that? Because if we want to navigate this world, so much of what we talk about, Z, how do we get through this world with minimal friction? How do we get through and maintain harmony? We don't want to fight other people. We want to have good relationships so other people have our back when we need them to have our back. So we can make more friends. We can learn about different cultures. And that requires a certain adaptation. That requires a code switch. We have to know how to speak whatever that local language is. There's a guy that I work with who's very effective at doing this. I mean, this guy, it's actually pretty amazing to me. When we travel around, he's always able to connect with whatever the local market is. And part of it is he's just got a ton of general knowledge. I don't know how much of this is innate, how much he looks up beforehand. But wherever we go, he'll start talking about local sports teams. He'll start talking about parades that happen in that part of the town, about local cuisine, about the restaurants to go to. Uh, and just by doing that, he loosens people up, or he'll go into someone's office, he'll see a picture of a Ferrari, he'll start talking about sports cars and racing, and before we get down to any business, it's a 20-minute conversation, just building that rapport. And nothing he says on the business side is extraordinarily insightful. I mean, he's smart, he can talk about what's happening in the economy and the markets, but... That's not where his real talent is. His talent is in connecting with different people and forming that relationship so that they feel comfortable. And once he's got that relationship, he's in that circle, and the more people he knows, the more valuable he becomes. So he's very good at code switching. Uh, We talked about your experience traveling to different countries and just learning basic things. How do you say uh, hello and thank you? And if you can say those things, you can relate to people. You can break down a lot of barriers. We talked about ways that people dress, ways that you act in different situations. The stereotype of the ignorant American, because Americans don't accommodate themselves to the rest of the world. So you go and travel, you expect that everyone's going to speak English, you expect that they're going to be loud. Uh, You don't change your mannerisms at all to fit in. So it comes off as being offensive, and you're 
uh, kind of like uh, a fish out of water. It's clear that you're not part of that culture, and that creates a certain friction. So this idea of code switching can be very powerful because it gives us access. It's almost like access to a club. We need to know that code to get into the club, uh, to go to the party, go to the dance, have conversations with other people. But we also don't want to be too extreme. And that's what Ben was saying to me. He was like, look, when you are really trying to imitate someone else and you get too far away from who you are, it comes off as fake. And you can take this a lot farther if you use who you are to your advantage and maybe go a little bit to the right, a little bit to the left. So that's some of the ideas of this conversation around code switching and how we maintain integrity while still being fluid and adaptive. And I'll kick us off over there. Z, what are your some some of your thoughts on this topic, or, or share some of your experiences? Um, I'm interested in the harmony of people, the harmony of human interaction. So, in that harmony of human interaction, we all have developed certain encryptions, codes, our particular combination. Not unlike people have the passcode to their phone the combination to their lock in their high school locker, the way to get into something, right? Those are our codes that we understand. And when you can appreciate that everyone has various types of encryption, greater and lesser encryptions, you have the ones you learn from your family. You know, when you go home, there's a way you talk to family members. When you leave that, there's another way that you deal with people outside your family. There's another way you deal with people outside your community. There's another way you deal with people outside your country. And throughout our lives, for there to be a good harmonious intersection of going, going coming left to right, appreciating code switching. In order to do that, it requires another level of intelligence, a corridor of intelligence you've opened yourself up to. Like you mentioned your friend who would go in an office and scan the office. I do the same thing. Find out what people are interested in, a piece of artwork, um, a sports car. Why don't people do that more often? Because they, don't, they lack the intelligence. If I go into a room, I can tell if a person has a rendering of a Monet or a rendering of Gauguin's work, and I'll talk about them. The minute we strike up that conversation, boundaries between myself and that person begin to fall. All of you have been around me long enough to see the way that I navigate the different people that come in. I'm always me, but because I have a genuine interest in the human condition, I may not be interested in that person, but I'm interested in the human condition, we can relate on many, many levels. Many levels. You guys have all witnessed that. And what that overrides, excuse me, what that overrides is the initial barriers that are brought up because that code isn't there. It's like stopping at a border and people wanting to see your ID, your passport, or going to an office and there's a security badge. You don't have that security badge, you can't get in. Not only can you not get in, but you're perceived as a hostile. You're perceived as an adversary because you're not part of that group, right? We do that every day. You don't belong here. 
the minute you find ways into that code, that sense that you don't belong diminishes. And the possibility of you belonging increases. Oh, they're one of us. That opens up a whole nother world. But even if it doesn't go to that extreme, the fact that you can flow with people. You know, I was sharing uh, some things with Caitlin about how different cultures assess things based on their, their code. How you treat your boyfriend or whatever. You can tell cultures. You can tell different cultures by how women and men treat each other in relationships. How much they express affection. Uh, how much they, how do they revere their partner? How do they acknowledge or not acknowledge? Right? Who's uh, dominant? Who's submissive? I was sharing with Jante, your, your manner of dress is a code. Right? They have, I, I heard a funny ad the other day on the radio which says, no more skinny jeans and, and pink business shirts. We have clothes for men. And I'd imagine a lot of people in this day and time would be very offended by that. But I try, try to drone on my, my seven-year-old and myself. We homed in on that right away. We're like, well, where's this store at? You can, drive, you can, you can get men clothes. No, really, there was an ad. There's an ad going around. Not this. the ad. You're seven-year-old. No, he did. But, well, he's already in his own world. The kids at a very early age start to track based on impressions from the parents and their observation of society. He's, they, they already do. At seven years old, you're very, your impressionability diminishes as the, the older you get. Mm -hmm. When you're younger, you're being modeled. And to a point, then you're already that model. He's halfway to his modeling stage. So he understands tactical wear. For whatever reasons. I mean, shake your head. But I'm not, I'm just saying, he gets it. He gets it. He, um... So code switching is something that we could do to improve not only our individual intelligence, but our universal social intelligence. I go to the Hindu temple. I was telling Caitlin it wouldn't be a good idea to invite one of her friends to the Hindu temple. There was a particular friend of hers that doesn't code switch well. She brings her own code wherever she is, and she wants the world to comply to that code. So she wanted to wear uh, Daisy Dukes and a boobs out halter top to a sacred Hindu temple. And she's the type of person that would go there dressed in a manner that would make the people she was with not be as welcome. So if you want to be welcomed, you would probably observe the dress, the manner of the people, and then go as they go. It's like when in Rome, do as the Romans do. At least, it's like going to a person's house and you, they, have, they don't wear shoes in the house. I don't wear shoes in my home, but I know people that will refuse to take their shoes off in someone's house or temple or whatever, then you can't go there. So you've limited yourself from a whole array of experiences. In a Japanese home, a lot of homes, they don't wear shoes. A lot of homes that they have altars and people acknowledge the altars. There are different behaviors that are code switching. And when you're astute enough, observant enough, you say, oh, okay, I see how this works. Uh, and you can grow from that experience. On the other hand, when you're, you're so blinded by your own egocentrism and your limited ability to navigate the world that you can't code switch, then your world is very limited. You can only go certain places. Again, we talked about the ugly American. 
I remember being in a place called Srinagar in India, and they were having some sort of political upheaval. And the terrorist folks came in, and they wanted to make a political statement. And they run in with machine guns, and they're surveying the restaurant, the cafe I was in. And it was an outdoor cafe. It was a big, you know, one of those outdoor cafes in India, in that area, that there are a few different restaurants, and you can go sit outdoors and check out the scenery. And it's pretty congested, but a very nice open-air environment. So I see the guys come in with AKs and rocket launchers and zip ties and masks and, and baklavas on. I said, this is going to be interesting. I'm sitting there with the person. I said, whatever you say, don't say you're from America and don't protest and stand up and say, I'm an American, damn it. Don't say that. So I told the girls, well, just pretend you don't know what they're saying, like you're from like Sweden or Russia or something. So, of course, the guys run in and they're running around and they're pointing guns at people and, and in a very demanding way per Eastern standards. It would it'd be a normal American or New York voice get out of the way here, but there it was really outrageous. And they said, from what country are you from? And people said, damn it, I'm American. Then they would bust them in the head, put them in zip ties, drag them out of the restaurant. Go to the next person. You can't do this, I'm American. Oh, you zip tied, carried away, right, hostages. They look at me and just keep going, right? Just, just some brother, even if he's from America, nobody's going to pay fucking money for him. So I just said, what's up, brother? He says, from what country are you from, sir? I said, what country shouldn't I be from? He said, America, sir. I said, I'm not from there. <laughs> Have a good day, brother. And he went on. He asked the woman I was with, and she just shook her head, thank God. And she said, oh, I was so tempted to tell them I was married. After you saw six people held hostage, you were still tempted. And she said, that was a weird feeling, you know. Uh, uh. I said, no, freedom is a weird feeling. Freedom feels good. Not being held hostage feels real good, other than making some weird nationalist declaration. It doesn't work here. And so just being able to code switch, you just find your way less interfered with. And that is a way that I want to get through life. Life, just living, is stressful enough. Why be stuck in a kind of a, a, a narrow code band that limits your range of expression of life, your ability to move to and fro, in different segments of people. You're just stuck. But there are many people who can't code switch. Um, you'll see different groups of, of immigrants that will come and cluster together. Um, and, and they have no clue about what's going on in the world other than within their small group. I was sitting at, at, at a few months back at my father-in-law's funeral and a relative came from somewhere and this Indian woman who was about my complexion, she looked to be Tamilian, Tamil or, or, or um, Bengali or something, but she was about my complexion. And she says, oh, I used to tell your wife, she was so black and fat, no one would want her, but she grew up to look fine. I said, what fucking cryo chamber have you been living in, lady? And then I remember a guy coming up to me one time who was a, a, a gypsy. Um, he was one of the Roma people. And he was here, and they run around, they try and fix dents in your car. They're really good at code switching. So he said, hey, brother, what's happening? I said, uh, I'm fine, but uh, is there something wrong? And they picked up right on my, you're not from here, bro. Where are you from, bro? I said, I'm from the Congo. He said, Mbote. 
which is a Congolese greeting. I said, oh, that's interesting. Where are you from? And he lied about where I was. I said, no, you're not. You're a Roma. You're a gypsy. He said, yeah, man, people don't like to hear that. And they can adapt. They can adapt to wherever they are. And they do it with such fluidity. And that's how they actually survive. Is they, they listen to you. They hear what you are. They say what you might be comfortable with. And there's a lot to learn from that. Wherever I go, I learn to say hello and thank you in the local language. That opens so many doors because different cultures say thank you in different ways. Thank you is actually insulting in many Eastern countries because it's a disclaimer. It's a discard of the person. In Wolof, uh, they say yokoboka. So if you say thank you, they say no, yokoboka. They almost reject thank you. It means for us all. Right? And shukriya, daniwad. It doesn't mean Thank you. Like it's 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 a, a complete openness to gratitude and exchange, and that that you get a sense of how the people think, how their life is nuanced, and as we learn these things, we get our world opens up, and it's not that you're submitting to anybody, but the world is filled with so many opportunities of self growth. And when you can't code switch, you limit that ability. Because your singular code is just like your passcode on your phone. If you lose that code, you forget your code. You've got to go through so much to redo it. Because you're limited. What if you had many different codes? Many different passwords. As they say, passport. Right? Passport, password. Can I get in? Where did you start from? Where can you go? And so code switching, even in relationships, they talk about love languages. And we discussed that before we, we started recording, is that people talk about the different love languages as if it's a difficult thing. Why not say there's different codes that people respond to? Because that's all we're, we're, we're talking about, are the response to. You have the father that's not real communicative and he doesn't say a lot of romantic stuff, but he's made sure you had a house, a home to live in, a roof over your head, you've been educated, You've never wanted for anything, but your dad never said, I love you, or any of that. It reminds me of Yogananda's apology to Sri Yukateshwar. And some of you have heard this story before, but just to brief you. So Yogananda returns to India after he became world-renowned. And now he's in newspapers all over the world. There's this strange uh, man from the East as the uh, New York or the L.A. Times had it, strange nigger from the East convincing white woman to leave Jesus. That's what they said about Yogananda in the American newspaper. But around the world, he was revered as bringing this kind of secret knowledge of India to all these people. And he was converting people to, uh, not really to Hinduism, but to another understanding of divinity. People feared that he was converting people, drawing people away from Christianity, but he really wasn't. So Yogananda is now this guy from Forgarpar Road in, in, in Calcutta, just a suburb of Calcutta, a little neighborhood, is now world-renowned. He's, like, at this time, one of the most famous people in the world. He's up there with um, Lindbergh and everybody. He's very famous. So he goes back to India. He's greeted by in India by thousands of people wherever you go. The guy went to America, represented India well. 
He's in the newspaper. He's doing all this stuff. He still dresses traditional. He didn't compromise. He didn't dress up like a Westerner. He didn't do any of that. He was just him. He comes back to India and, and everybody is praising him. My God, you, 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 you just conquered the world. You represented Hindustan in the most amazing way. He goes and knocks on Sri Kateshwar's door, his guru, and says, I'm back. So yeah, you've been doing a lot of stuff. He said, what are you doing? Sri Kateshwar said, I'm doing what I've always been doing, right here at the ashram, and uh, doing, doing what we do. He says, okay, um, what about me? He said, you did great. I knew you could do that. Let's get to work. He says, uh, Guruji, can I talk to you about something? I just need to have a little moment with you. He says, you know, I came to you as a, uh, a young boy, like a teenager. Now I've got a gray hair or two in my head. And, and all the time I've worked with you, you only told me you loved me once. That was when I first met you. And uh, I'm, I'm just concerned. Did, did I not earn your love? And I'm not good enough? Uh, you only told me you loved me once. And he said, Yogananda says, Sri Kateshwar looked like he wanted to run and hide. He said, I saw my guru just pull away. And then he turned to me and said, since I've been a Swami, you know, my family died. And that drove me to be a householder. I lost my wife and kids horribly at a young, early in my life. And when I met you, I felt like I was given a son. And I poured into you everything I would have poured into my own son. You've gone and you've conquered the whole world. I love you, Yogananda. At that moment, Yogananda said, man, I felt like such a fool. I felt so bad. I wish I could have put that back. I never thought about that. That he gave me everything he could possibly get, give me that made me who I am, but just because he didn't say those words, he said, then Sri Yukateshwar said, I love you, Yogananda. And Yogananda said, like a weight was lifted off his shoulders, but then shame took the place of that. I know he loved me. He gave me everything. He made me the man I am today. And I should never do that. Code switching. He wanted to hear words. But he didn't look at the deeds. He didn't look at the action. And for that, he was ashamed. That he asked, he basically forced his mentor and guru to trivialize, to say, bring into the cold realm of speech what is left, best left in the dark, warm place of the heart. Isn't that beautiful? But he learned a lesson. The dark, warm place in the heart. The womb of love is in the heart, not in what you say. Words are easy. Actions are hard. So as we understand code switching, we can take this kind of concept of love language to another level. Not what they're saying. What are they doing? We all speak and share a different way, just by understanding. When you can code switch, it requires you to grow your intelligence, get a lay of the land, get a sense of the people around you. You never have to not be you, like Ben told you. Be you. Express yourself, but you don't ever have to leave that. But we 
do benefit from understanding. As I said to Caitlin in her hostile response, that that response makes you the, the ugly American in a sense. I'm not telling you not to be you, but just to appreciate. Appreciate how people have had to navigate the world and the encryptions and codes they've developed. Whether it affects your daily life or not, but I have found that when you can understand people, there is harmony. Even a little bit of it is good. When you can understand people, whatever conflict you are is diminished by many grades, simply by understanding. Even if it's an adversary, you understand, hey, I know you're going through stuff. I'm going to still have to go to war with you. But I have a better understanding of where you're coming from, and you have a better understanding of me. And maybe at some point when all this is over, we can dwell in each other's humanity. And we can find peace. That's all. So it's very important to code switch. You do it with children all the time. When you talk to children, talk to them like children from an adult perspective. You ever see kids that were never really interacted with adults in a child way? They're really screwed up. They're the most annoying kids in the world. And they have all kinds of problems because their brain is different. The way they've interpreted the world. They're smaller than you. They're really tiny people. They're dependent upon you. And so they often see you as an extension of their own body. Right? Your kids see you, so they get mad at you, like your daughters were beating me up the other day. And it's not a bad thing. It's like, imagine being them. They're just small. they got to be driven around. Somebody's got to go get their food. It's just a mess. But in their mind, they're clear of that because they understand the code. So I would say to all of us, especially those who opt out, as you understand the code, the encryption, the cipher of other people and other groups, even if it doesn't make it ideal for you, you understand people, their motivations. I understand people who fear other people. I don't agree with it. I understand it. And it helps me navigate it better. It's like your car breaks down. If you have just a basic understanding of mechanics, you can actually articulate what's wrong with your car. Even if you can't fix it, you understand it. You say, okay, I see what's going on. A lot of people fear flying in planes because they don't understand flight. It's up, it's down. Oh, the plane shook. Oh my God, it shook. I heard the other day there was turbulence on a plane and they had to take all these people to the hospital from shock and anxiety. Half the plane, the plane, did you hear about that? It was turbulence on a plane. And there's just ambulances all over the place. Oh my God. The fact that you don't die just in the damn thing, you should be happy. But because people don't understand flight, they don't control it, they don't code switch well, it causes them duress. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, there are a couple of things that I want to explore a bit. So this idea of code switching, I've seen it, as I mentioned, with this friend of mine. I've seen it with myself. My wife will say that when I talk to you or Smacy, I sound totally different. She's basically saying I sound too black. So it makes her uncomfortable. <laughs> it's a different conversation. But I've seen the code switching. I've also seen people who maybe take it too far, or maybe they confuse what they're doing for code switching. 
And I remember we had this conversation with you maybe a year, year and a half ago. It could have even been longer, maybe before the pandemic. But we were talking about the difference between code switching and subjugation. So I gave the example of the same friend that I mentioned. And when he goes around, sometimes he'll change his accent. And so he'll be talking to people from the South. He'll have a Southern accent. He grew up in the South, so it's somewhat natural. Uh, but he'll have the Southern accent and he'll, that'll be part of the whole code switch. And that'll also create that bond. And I remember talking to you about that because right before that conversation, I think we've been talking about people who come to this country and change their names. Uh, there was a guy that I worked with years ago, this Korean guy named Young Siug. And he came to this country, uh, worked at a consulting firm with me. He changed his name to John. And I said, why did he pick John? And he said, I went through all of the American names and I chose the one that was easiest to pronounce because Young Siug was very hard for people. So he wanted the opposite of that. He chose John. You see it with people in Asian culture. You see it with some Indian people who will change their name. They'll take a Nick Hill and make it a Nick or turn into a Roy or, or something else. And you had said that that's fucked up. And you were like, you're giving away part of who you are. You're going too far. You're losing your identity. And so then I said, well, what about the strategy of changing the way that you talk? Isn't that the same thing? And you're like, no, that's actually highly intelligent. That's a way uh, to navigate social situations, connect with people. And I said, well, what's the difference? Because it didn't feel like it was that different. And see, I think you'd said that maybe the difference is you're clear on who you are. Like in one case, you can switch, you can adapt, but you know who you are fundamentally. In the other case where you're changing your name, you don't know who you are. You're trying to be something to please someone else. So you lose that sense of self, which becomes damaging because you lose sight of who you are. You live your life trying to please other people, which as we've talked about, isn't something that you can do. You lose your authenticity, which in some ways is the most important gift that we can offer in this life. And just being ourselves, bringing whatever our unique perspective is to different interactions, bringing our creativity. But I feel like it's a bit of a fine line. I mean, kind of like when I was talking to Ben, and in fact, I walked him to the car, and he was like, yeah, you just got to be you. You just got to be who you are. And I'm like, well, who am I? I mean, I feel like I'm schizophrenic. On the one hand, I've got, you know, sorry, we're interrupting, because he just spilled orange juice all over his pants. <laughs> we got to take a quick, quick break. A in this? All right, so let's get back on track. It, so I was talking to Ben, and he was saying, well, you just got to be you. You got to be authentic. And I'm like, but what am I? Because it's almost like I'm two different people in the same body. I've got the way that I was raised and the way that I see myself, and I can fall into that. And then I've got this other part of me, which is just more primal, which wants to tear everything down around me, and which has all of these ideas, these unconventional ideas that I want to express. And... I used to think that one was more natural, like one was the authentic me and one wasn't. And maybe that's true, maybe it's not. Now I'm seeing things a little bit differently. Like maybe that's just who I am, that I'm a schizophrenic, that I've got these two conflicting parts of myself. Which brings me back to the question, how do you figure out what's code switching? I mean, maybe you got some perspective on me, Z, or you can use me well, as an example. More so, so universally, why, why I, said I said that to you is that mantra... mantra 
Tantra, Yantra, like in yoga. What is spoken, what is designed, and what is manifested. So your name that was bestowed upon you by your parents or your priest or through your evolution is what we're going to present as. The way that you engage people is representing the feedback loop between you and whoever you're talking to. The other day, this candidate for something, Herschel Walker, made a point to wear a Cassius Clay shirt to his, uh, his audience. And in that code, what he was telling them is, I don't value a Muhammad Ali. I don't value what he represented. I don't value that. I'm on your side. That's what he's saying to them. I don't value the dignity of this African guy who rejected the title of slavery, but continued to go on and do wonderful things. But he disclaimed the narrative of an enslaved person. So he wanted to say in his own encryption, I'm, though I am a person of color, I am with the racist people. I am with the, these people. And that will get him a certain number of votes. So your name, as many people say, there was a, a Ron Doss used to be Cat Stevens or somebody like that, who, as he became, whoever it was, right? Who? Yusef. Yeah, Yusef. But who was Ram Dass for some Ram Dass was someone else. There's some white dude him. Yeah. And so what he did, he found his own name. But he was able to navigate the world. You have an extraordinary name. That represents the hopes of your mom and dad. Whether you could ever live up to that is powerful. Budarash. My God. Yeah. The king of Buddhas? The king of intelligence? Why would you change your name to Buddy? Yeah. Well, I'm my first name is domesticated. Yeah, yeah, it means that. But then if you're the king of intelligence, then, that, then you're controlling domestication. Plus, Indian stuff, you turn around backwards anyway. So there's a way to work with it. I'm just saying work with it. But we start with your individuality. That's your name. We start, hopefully, with the individual. And now that individual joins the human family in an engaging, in a warm and harmonious way. It's like a beautiful potluck. Everybody brings a local cuisine, a cultural cuisine. That's what makes a potluck nice, is you get foods from all over the place, right? You get something from everybody. So the authenticity of name and then the ability to code switch, that means you've taken ownership of yourself and you're offering that to the array and the spectrum of humanity. When you see these people who change their names in order to hide themselves, I would always be leery of that. You think about these politicians like Nikki Haley. Can't pronounce her name. It's like Vatush somebody, Ramakrishna or something. The same thing with Bobby Jindal. And right when they change their name to something Americans can pronounce without saying much, they also promote a political view that's typically anti-human, hate-filled. All of them do. 
there's kind of a constant, whenever they change their name, they're signaling to you that they're not really on the side of the common people. Because you'll see in their background, they came from converted caste. So most of them were Dalits or untouchables. They come to the United States and then switch it over and tell everybody they were Brahmins back in India and they were treated like, no, you weren't. That's why you ran out of India. You were untouchable, unseeable, or unapproachable. You switch your name around, lie, say you were Brahmin in India, and then you want to, you want to join the Brahmin caste in America, which perceived as the wealthy white caste. Just tell the truth. You were a, 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 a cattle skinner or a dead corpse picker-upper in India. Nobody wanted to be around you. You figured out a way to get some money, got the hell out of there. But you, you didn't change. You brought your rage, your disdain for humanity here, then you changed your name to Sam Smith. Not obviously you're not Sam Smith. So a lot of people do it. I remember a cousin who, um, they couldn't pronounce his name when he joined the U.S. military. But he was born on December 25th. And they said, look, we can't pronounce your name. We're going to do a name change. We're going to call you December Christmas. So everybody used to call him D.C. December Christmas. Because no argument. But we always rejected. He knew who he was. And then we get a big joke out of that. He would tell the story. And it was, he, he turned that into something pretty cool. So I, I believe when you know who you are is the way we start out. Your ability to engage others is the next step. But first, know who the hell you are. Be okay with you. A lot of people aren't okay with that because most Africans, most people will use an anglicized name to navigate America. You'll meet random guys that are obviously fresh off the boat and they'll tell your name. Yeah, my name is Reggie Jackson. Sam Singer, right? Alfred Einstein. I have a cousin called him Gary Epstein because it looked good on papers when you never met the person. Then you walk in the office and the guy was dark as night. So I thought it was Einstein, but it got him in the door. So we understand the power of name. Whether you want to hide in the crowd, Sam Smith. Find the most common names, right? And that's what a lot of immigrants do as a method of survival. A lot of immigrants give their kids two titles, an anglicized name and the family name. So if you want to move about, you use an anglicized name. Why do you do that? Because the unwillingness of Westerners to code switch. Now, of course, as more and more groups of people are coming from different places that have skills, it's not as obvious. I would say 30 years ago in the United States, you would rarely see people with a complete intact family name on a roster of workers, right? And you would just see these different kind of interesting names, but it would be easy for the, easy for the Western tongue. As those groups got stronger and stronger, they stopped pretending to be other people. I remember walking around with my father-in-law and my uncle-in-law, and we were going to their town in the high desert, and people would say, Hey, Sam! Hey, Eddie! So who the hell is Sam and Eddie? How did you guys go from a Merely and Akash to Sam and Eddie? You're Sam and Eddie? 
It's what's where, where we live. live. It's easy for them. Yeah, we just don't want any trouble. I get it. That's, That's code switching. But they also didn't keep. They dealt with these people strictly in a uh, in, in, in a transactional way. When they went home, they they took pride in who they were and their names. That's just smart. So all I'm saying is that for us who are opting out, know who you are, but be able to adapt to who others are and to their capacity to even understand you. People have limited capacities to even understand. Some people are stubbornly hold on to certain coding and encrypting. I was talking about Jante and his manner of dress. That's code switching. When I worked for IBM, I wore a suit and tie. In my locker, it looked like men in black outfits. That's all I had. On one side of the closet, I had, uh, I, I had 10 suits, 20 shirts, and an array of ties. All black with the white shirt. Or dark blue, dark gray. You know, there was a certain, and that was because I told people, and when your mannerisms code switch. Now, you see the guys walk around with their pants hanging down when that thing was, I don't see it as much anymore. But it's still the thing of the pants falling down. That meant that you were uh, sexually available to other men in prison. That was the code you were sending out, the sagging things. Now, um, really fat people with skinny jeans is telling you, uh, I really don't give a damn about health and wellness. That's what they're talking about. Where they meet you? Skinny jeans, I'm sexually ambiguous. Right? Sexually fluid. That's what they tell you. People talk with their presentation of self. We do speak. That's why we pick our clothes. Uh, doing a lot of uh, unnatural colors with your hair. I need some attention. I'm not wanting people to be hostile. But let's just be honest. That's what we do. Um, I prefer what used to be called a clean cut. Right? For me, it's efficiency. Right? And so people say, oh, it's efficient. I'm not a fashionista. I, I wear, you know, scrubs to work. People are in the medical field. That's it. So we, we code, we, we project our encryption to get a response. And some people do it very naturally, organically. Um, other people do it more intentionally. That's what all the fashion things about, these makeovers. You heard about these people, they go do makeovers, right? Somebody shows you, comes and tells you how to dress for success. What suits you wear, what haircut you should get. And you see, it, it, it's, it's scary because people don't realize that that code is unlocking a certain channel of information. That's how television works. And you, you find a, a particular way in, the encryption on a computer, whenever you type YouTube search, it's going to search for certain things. It's going to bring it up. Um, it, it's, it's due with weird hairdos, right? Like they used to have this thing where they have when a guy goes bald and he just has just nothing up here and he has one piece of hair hanging. Come over here. Yeah, yeah. It's like, dude, get in shape, go bald. That's what I tell them. Because that tells me a story right there. Women who wear the um, Joker makeup. I found out recently, I think I mentioned before, it's very scary, that apparently the reason these people wearing Joker makeup is because these women believe that women who, men who imitate women are more attractive than women who are women, so they are starting to dress up like men who dress like women. That's where this new makeup trend is coming from. Well, you told me, you're the one who told me that. I was asking, well, what is this new 
this extreme makeup. You know what I'm talking about, this... I'm, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with the Joker makeup. Well, to me, it looks you look like the Joker. I'm just saying that. Are you talking about how women are contouring now? Women are doing makeup. Young women, I see a lot of young women do makeup to look like drag queens. I'm not talking about the drag kings, the women who dress like men. No, they're trying to no. look like... They who look like women. There are women who wear their makeup, pancake makeup, like men used to wear. Men used to wear, who dressed up like, okay, you have all the words I know. So the women are now dressing up like men, dressing or pretending to be women. And that's where this is. So they're telling you something right there. That's their code. Um... But for all those of us who are opting out, we're just trying to navigate the world. So I like to assess people, what they're into. I size people up when I, as soon as I meet them. And then hopefully we can have some kind of thing where we can find a common theme of conversation. It, it breaks the ice. It's more harmonious. It, 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 it's easier for human commerce, right? When it comes to more intimate interactions, uh, code switching is... As you said, in, in, in a family, how do you talk to your kids? How do you really understand what they're saying? Some people don't get what kids are saying. Kids speak to you in different languages and different codes and different things means different things. Uh, couples, a lot of the trouble with couples are we're trying to make each person follow our code. We're not learning what their code is. Where did their code come from? Their upbringing, their familiar identity how their mom and dad interacted with each other, how their mentors, teachers, all that honed those things. And so a lot of times you'll find that, uh, we've talked about this, Ben, where your, your partner, your wife goes somewhere and comes back and you got problems because she's comparing herself to other women. Right? She's learned their code and she tries to incorporate that code into your domestic code, which has nothing to do with anything you guys are doing. Right? You know that experience where, hey, uh, Susie just bought a new um, bedroom set, and we should get one like it. Uh, no, we don't really. Well, at least uh, in my case, she's aware of it now. Mm -hmm. The other night, she was obviously upset, and I said, what's going on? And she's like, if I tell you, you're going to shoot me in the head. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> so she stormed around for a while, and she's like, everyone's going to Greece this summer, and we're not going... They're all hanging out in Europe. Wow. But that only lasted for a few hours. Next day, things were back to normal. So she is self-corrected. Yeah, but also, there was no filter. And sometimes there's no filter. It's like a lot of this stuff. is. Re Most of the people that are going to Greece, they're miserable. They're not happy with each other. And, and all of these things, to me, I believe, when just to kind of go down that path, is when people are content with each other, like they say in... in, in, in the Vedas, the greatest happiness is contentment. The happiest and most content people I meet, they do their traveling and stuff like that, but it doesn't make or break them. Right? It isn't, their happiness and joy with one another has nothing to do with the places they go. And when I meet these different people and I sit and talk to them, and they're doing a lot of activities, uh, the bedroom is a pretty cold place for them. They're not having a lot of good time together. Humans aren't that interesting or complicated. If you're having a lot of good time with your partner, wherever you are, you're okay. 
wherever you are, you're okay. Whether you're just in the house on the weekend or on a cruise ship in San Tropez. As long as you're with each other. It's when those codes get disrupted. It's again, it's like losing your passcode and somebody else is trying to break into your hard drive. And they're telling you about all the wonderful things. If they were having such a wonderful time, they probably wouldn't have enough energy to harass you about it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just be, be happy. I'm happy for you. So that's another way that we understand the code. What are people really saying? A lot of these people are saying, I'm constantly running around and busy doing stuff because I'm not happy. Yeah. And I'm chasing happiness. I'm chasing another dopamine high or dopamine rush. So once you break that code, you can clean it up. But you got to break that cipher. What are you saying, John? Uh, to double back to what you were saying earlier, I have two questions to that thing. One being, doesn't the requirement for the code switch go both ways in that interpersonal relationship where not necessarily running around all the time, but maybe she wants to go out sometimes. Maybe she wants every now and then to showcase the... Well, see, here's, here's the challenge with that is, yeah, I agree with that. I think, I think being and doing and sharing a shared experience, whatever that is with your partner, if you have enough common interests mm -hmm. and you have shared experiences that you really want to share, and I would change the word from showcase to shared experience, because showcasing to me is a negative thing, okay. where you want some sort of public display of your affluence, your wealth, or even these people that politicians that come out and they can't let go of their wife's hand and they're having these fake kisses and you find out that they are basically having animal sex and all this other when they really, they're not interested in each other. And you see this all the time. Oh, here's Jill and Joe Biden. Yeah, Melania Trump and Dr. You know she's a hooker. She's paid to be there. There's nothing that vaguely resembles caring or emotions but they're showcasing their relationship. People that I find that are really warm and close in their relationships, there's something almost friend-like in their interaction with each other. There's almost these unspoken gestures and things. They have real close lovers have their own language. You know what I mean? That, that they have their own code. And they, they, they get each other. They know when to come in, when the other person's ready to leave. When you're showcasing, it's about people outside of your, your, your code biome, right? And you're, you're, you're hoping that they'll approve of you or say something validating to you because you did this thing that you need to announce, right? That, that, that's when I, I don't believe it to be that healthy or holistic. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I think it's beautiful when people connect on a code, be it friends, lovers, husbands and wives, whatever, and they enjoy shared experiences. I think that's beautiful. But if that experience has something to do with showcasing your, your affection or your affluence to other people, it is very unhealthy. Right. Because there's no, there's no tether on that. There's no end to that. There, it's not sustainable. And many divorces and many marriages have broken up because of that, right? Because people are keeping up with the Joneses, as they say. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting hearing your observations because it's making me think about the other aspect of code switching. 
that there's certain groups that you might not be willing to code switch for. You're like, I just don't want to participate in this. The cost of talking in that code, being in that code, if I have to go into a gang and I have to be jumped in and they have to beat the shit out of me, no, I don't want to do it. No, no, I agree with you totally. I totally agree with that. That's what I'm saying. It's called code switching. Switching is an intentional act. Right. It's not called code automa, right? It's just definitely certain things. You can see when we go through certain areas. I'm not getting out the car here. I don't want to figure this out. The risk of that is too high, right? And, and so, yeah, we, we, it's an intentional act. But, it, but hopefully it's an intentional act of intelligence, right? Study things around you. Study people. Or when you find that kind of diplomatic area where all these different codes can come together, you can discern, decipher, and pick and choose, Right? I know that in, in, in our family, there are people who are members of a cult. And I can code switch to an extent. But there's a point where just like going through certain neighborhoods, I'm not going there with you. Right? And you just want to know your limits. Because, again, it's, you have your own code. They have theirs. It's fucking potluck. Everybody brings something. You follow me? Something I wanted to touch on from uh, earlier when you said um, you're talking about action, right? Mm -hmm. The father that provides it, it actually it got me thinking about my I mean, you know, my, my story. Sure. Um, my stepdad is like that mm -hmm. in that you he'll say he loves you, but it's on those occasions of the birthday. The But if it's mom's busy. As a kid, mom's busy, grandma's not around, she's at work, something's going on at school. He's kicking the door down. All right, where's my son at? Mm -hmm. And it took me till I was in my late 20s, maybe, to understand that it's not always about the words of affirmation. Because um, I grew up as a writer. as a mm -hmm. So for me, everything's been words my whole life. And it took a long time to understand, oh... He's just like that. He's just, he's quiet. He shows it through the way that he moves through the world. He's an example versus the, he doesn't take the podium. Mm -hmm. He just lives it. Um, I, I find this kind of an interesting thing that many in my generation, we've kind of overlooked. Because we, we grew up in an era where we were told that you should be told you're loved. Affirmations. Mm -hmm. As opposed to confirmation. I, f I feel you. And, and as, before, as we wrap this up, I see Kate and I was getting antsy. My grandfather was not a person of romantic words. He was very, but you knew he loved you. And his love was able to be transcendent. And it amplified even out of the grave. He died relatively young of cirrhosis of the heart where his arteries had just hardened and cracked open. As I reflect, and I've outlived him, I'm older than my grandfather ever got to be. And I recall like why I know how to work on cars. That was my grandfather. How I know how to drive a stick, his old truck. 
how I can try to fix anything that's broken. That was my grandfather. Never feeling like there were limits if you put your effort into it. That was my grandfather. I don't ever recall him ever saying any kind of loving, cuddly, affirming words. Mm -hmm. I do remember as you're talking about your dad and your situation, him getting a glass of ice while we were working and rubbing it over his chest and taking a moment of quiet and then getting right back to it. And as I got older, I realized that his heart was bothering him. But his family needed things. Not only his family, but many other families that he took care of. And he would take a moment, rub ice on his chest to soothe his burning heart and get back to work. There's not one of my relatives, cousins, that doesn't recall the level he loved us. His love was so big, it ruined most of us when it comes to the idea of relationships. Because he loved my grandmother. And every day he would look at her like he had a fine piece of jewelry. Like a Fabergé egg. Like the greatest thing in the world. He looked at her like she was the greatest thing in the world. And sometimes he would just talk in grunts. Mm -hmm. yep, like Billy Bob Thornton or something. Mm -hmm. you know? And whatever she asked for. And she wasn't demanding, but she would, like many women do, she would just speak what came to her mind. Oh, I wish there was shade. Ah, the car's a little noisy. Next week, there'd be a new car in the driveway. Nothing said, dealer would come right over, drop the new car off. Take the old one away. And she said, I didn't need, really need a car. He said, mm-hmm. Then he'd get back to work. That was love. But for some people, they would rather get rid of all the deeds just for the words. Just for the words. I think that's misguided. Different codes. But those are my thoughts. So as we're wrapping up, a couple of final things to point out. This code switching, I think, is powerful. Your point about it being intentional is very important. It's not something we blindly go into. And when I think about how to do this, one, we have to be open. So we don't want to go in and just impose our will on other people. Two, we have to observe. We have to know what's going on around us. Three, we should cultivate some knowledge. Because if we're going to interact with other cultures, find common ground, that we should have a lot of interest. We should know something about the world. And I think if we can do that, we can get to a point where we just get that smooth interaction that we're talking about. So let's practice that, flow through life, and we're good. Again, you mentioned intelligence. The pursuit of intelligence allows you to fluidly code switch, to observe your environment, to observe people. It's like doing etiology. Look for signs, symptoms, movement, gait. It tells you a story. All right? All right. See you guys next time. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.